Hello and welcome to the Marketing That Matters podcast, casual conversations for purpose-driven women. Each week we'll talk about what's grabbed our attention, productivity hacks making our life easier, and chat about a purpose-led brand. everyone welcome back to the podcast this week i am talking about female partnerships and why there aren't many of them around and also how they can help you in following through your passion project and creating it a dream we also look at the thank you group campaign that launched in september 2020 and how it is using consumers to reach out to global P&G and Unilever. It's absolutely fantastic. The brand we're talking about this week is Grilled Burgers and how they're a risky brand, but how it's really, really working for them. And we also discuss a good strategy as to how a small business could create a purpose quite easily and let it be part of the customer experience. So this week I've been thinking a lot about female duos or female partnerships. I can only really think of a few like Joanna and Clea from the Home Edit, but not many more than that in terms of business partnerships. I'm sure there are plenty more, but they're just not a focus like male partnerships, like they're not as um, famous, I guess, about them. Mm. I'm sure many of you can recall Jobs and Wozniak, Gates and Allen, Procter and Gamble, Ben and Jerry, or a more, more local one if you're in Australia, Hamish and Andy. An article from She Explores says, while bromance or strong male partnerships have long been accepted and valued by society, the female equivalent has been far less pronounced, as well as plagued by stereotypes of cat fights, untrustworthy girlfriends, and a lack of interest in healthy professional competition. Do you agree with me, Alicia, that female duos or female partnerships are hard to come by? For sure. And this article is so interesting how it talks about the reasons why female partnerships can be so powerful and I'm surprised that we haven't seen more or ones that come to mind there are lots but ones that are so as successful as those ones you just named I think that's what it is I'm sure there's plenty out there but they're not as famous as the male ones for some reason yeah it's interesting there are definitely um yeah female duos that are that are extremely successful but I think what is interesting from this article to look into is why it's worth exploring a business with a female partner. The article talks about um, how it develops confidence. The process starts with deciding to partner. When you say yes to combining your skills with those of a respected peer, you need to first acknowledge that you're bringing valuable skills and perspectives to the partnership. After all, your partner is choosing you for good reasons. So it also talks about, you know, there's a reason why they're picking you too. And that helps with confidence. Whereas if you're just going to business by yourself, it's a little bit harder to, well, it's easier to sort of forget that passion project and think, oh, I'm not, I'm not, it's not happening. You've got a bit more accountability with Exactly. Exactly. Um, I love that because we partnered for a reason similar to that. We both have a a passion for the same thing um, a lot of experience in the same areas but we both actually are different in so many ways as well and complement each other like I'm a complete introvert and I would say that you're probably an extrovert would you agree yes (laughs) and that works so well for us but I think as well as us partnering with each other for various reasons 
I think a good point is neither of us could have partnered with a male for this and our reasons involve obviously developing the relationship that we had over many years working together but our need for flexibility with young kids and things like that like I doubt we could probably have the same amount of understanding with a male partner that we do as females together. Yeah for sure and being able to understand um, the pressure of being the the main caregiver as well I think with the young kids because if you're with a male part if you're with a male partner in business they might not necessarily be the main caregiver and they might be working full-time too but the pressure is off them as much as and it's not on as the same as it's on with us I also liked the um it talked about imposter syndrome yes and I completely I was definitely privy to this before starting up JNA. And it's funny as you go on, people don't care or judge as much as I thought they would. And what if anything, we've had so many people applaud us for starting our own business. And but here I was so scared of being this imposter in the industry where it's just ridiculous because we've been in the industry for so long but just not under our own name. Yeah. And it talks about um, having a, w- a woman power together. It creates faith in your partnership and you you almost can easily push down that imposter syndrome feeling because you've got each other. Yeah, definitely. I, they actually said that really well when they said partnering with other women afforded me the opportunities of confronting imposter syndrome in a constructive way, avoiding passion project burnout and leveraging a unique type of strength and creativity that is unapologetically female. I think as well these days there's more opportunity to start your own business, which is great. Um, and women can now partner together instead of compete with each other for limited jobs. And yes. I think there is more um, opportunities for females in workplaces. So that's really good. And I think we're seeing slowly the dismantling of the male dominance in the office and in startups and things like that as well, which you can only hope will be positive in future. Definitely. What's got my attention this week is the Thank You Group Australia campaign. Aussie Justine Flynn and Daniel Flynn, co-founders of social enterprise Thank You Group Australia, have launched a campaign on the 29th of September 2020, reaching out to multinational conglomerates, P&G and Unilever, with a potential plan. The Thank You Group is donates funds from the sales of its water, body care and food products to safe water hygiene and sanitation programs and food security programs in 16 countries. Now, I don't know, Jade, do you use Thank You brand? Because I definitely do in my household, the Thank You hand wash. Yes, I have a few. Yes. Now, why this, why this campaign got my attention, if you haven't seen it, they're calling it the No Small Plan. And the team's proposition is for P&G and Unilever to manuf- manufacture and distribute Thank You's products globally. The Aussie social enterprise has a charitable focus in tackling poverty, so global distributors would allow it to scale up considerably. This is such a refreshing and hard-hitting campaign. I couldn't look away when watching the video. How about you, Jane? Yeah, it is so interesting. I haven't seen a campaign like it, really. It's really fascinating. Definitely. I think because of our experience with marketing to... Um, distributors 
we understand this is all goes on behind the scenes, but this is almost a campaign which got in consumers involved in yes, a business decision. They're basically saying, um, and they did say in one of the articles that they've used the um, their power of consumers before in order to get thank you products into supermarkets. Before right. they were in supermarkets, mm-hmm. they um, had their consumers contacting the supermarkets in order to get their products in there. So mm. they're using this again, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. No, so this is a this has been a global campaign and a big campaign at that. They have had huge success with this campaign and they are currently negotiating with someone now, but we don't know who it is. Yes, they haven't said, have they? No. So it was successful. It was successful. <laughs> I think they said on Instagram, uh, without saying too much, we're down to the shortlist of partners, but we need a little more time to work through the nitty gritty stuff. Because they said at the end of the campaign, when they had a partner, they were going to post on a billboard in, the t- in Times Square in New York, didn't they? Yeah, so this is interesting. So they said that on November 5th, they would be posting, they would be launching a billboard in Times Square to announce who it was. So then on November 5th, they posted on Instagram. On Sept- and this is what they said. On September 29th, we launched No Small Plan and spent two weeks campaigning together. It kicked off a movement with people from over 36 countries who helped this message spread further than we could have ever imagined. We had 730 media features in 35 countries, which made for a busy few weeks. This has culminated into a crazy 2.6 billion, billion impressions. 2.6 billion. That's amazing. For reference, 42 million impressions represented our previous largest campaign we'd ever run in Australia. Turns out we definitely got the attention of the big two and the others who we'd sent the invitation to, plus a few more who picked up the phone. Crazy. So they have got the attention and this campaign is definitely one to look into if you're interested in um, just a massive, successful, global consumer-driven campaign. Yeah, 100%. So they're basically, they're wanting to partner with one of these larger manufacturers in order to obviously decrease their cost of goods and things like that so they can spend more money on their their purpose elements can't is that's the plan isn't it yeah so they're called a social enterprise which i looked at that up so they're um it means that they are um not a profit not for profit so they they essentially profits go right. to um this cause which yeah. is um safer hide safer water hygiene and, sanit- and sanitary pro- um programs in less fortunate of the third world countries. So in saying that then, in asking P&G and Unilever and some of the potential um, and some of their competitors to assist in developing these products, not developing the products, but um, manufacturing manufacturing the products and distributing, it allows them to be able to scale up quickly and keep keep the same plan as what they have in Australia, but globally. Globally, yeah. Yeah. I like this campaign because it's quite refreshing the way that they're doing it. They're using consumers again to do it. But I think it's important to note that this campaign, I think, does have a lot of money behind it. It, yeah. it, it wasn't done on a shoestring budget. No. Um, and he, they did say, while the world's been in turmoil, some people got really rich. We know because we're one of them. Yes. As a hand wash and sanitizer provider, Thank You made some 10 million in profits during the pandemic, Flint said. It was like a gold rush. But the whole reason we make money is to get it to the parts of the world that need it most, which I think is 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 really refreshing. Yes. Yes. Well, it is. It's been the year of the, hand, the, the any any brand that was in toilet paper or... <laughs> 
hand sanitizing was just in luck in 2020. And this was thank you group. So it's no surprise that by the end of this year, we probably should have predicted this, that they were coming out with a major campaign. But you know what I love about this campaign? And this is what I wanted to look into is is, is when it looks at what it wants to do with its success. It's not just asking you to, it's asking the consumer to think about the brand. So it makes the brand top of mind, but action something that's not actually involving them buying the product. Yes. So it doesn't happen very often, does it? No, but when I see it, I really, really appreciate the fact that the brand's gone um, in a different direction than than you know than purely just saying our product's the best. You know, same old. It's actually driving a major campaign for a different for a, to move the brand forward, which is always refreshing when you see a brand do this. I'm interested. We will definitely share what the results of this campaign are when we know who they um, partner with. And I think it's definitely one to watch because I don't think they're slowing down anytime soon. No, not at all. Good on them. The brand we're talking about this week is Grilled Burgers. They were launched in 2004 and they've fast become one of the biggest burger chains in the country. 67 restaurants around Australia makes them definitely one of the largest burger joints in Australia. They're doing okay. They claim to be one of the healthier burgers and they position themselves as a burger place, not fast food. On their website, they say making burgers doesn't make us the same as fast food. We're not their alternative. We are the solution. Guilt-free, healthy burgers you don't need a hangover for. It's been our focus, our passion, our point of difference since the beginning. So Alicia... Tell me what you think about grilled burgers. I can't help but roll my eyes at the <laughs> guilt-free bit because this is just what, and I, I'm not the nutritionist out of the pair of us, so I can't imagine what you think. But that is misleading to me only because they're not necessarily guilt-free. Yeah, they definitely play on their marketing in terms of you know healthy, healthy burgers and things like that. A, a burger's still a burger at the end of the day, but um. You know, if you do look at them compared to, they do tend to have, from my understanding, some somewhat fresher and more whole food ingredients than, say, a McDonald's burger sure. in terms of additives and things like that. So, I but they do take that to the next level yes, in their marketing. Sure, sure. And then that's okay. Um, I have actually had this conversation with people in the past who have said, well, it's healthy, let's get a burger from Grilled. And I'm like, well, that's so interesting that the marketing's done so well to even almost educate people on what healthy means. Yeah. It's funny because there was a study that did um, the difference of a grilled burger versus I think like a Big Mac, for example. And the grilled burger came out with more um, kilojoules or calories as the US call them, which everyone, so everyone was like, oh my gosh, grilled burgers aren't healthy, blah, 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 blah. But People are forgetting that the grilled ones are probably made with more real ingredients than the McDonald's ones are. If you looked at them in terms of all the um, artificial things in a McDonald's burger versus a grilled burger, the grilled burger would come out on top. Yeah. Does that mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's it's real food. Yes. But you need to look at what the real food are in isolation. You know, if you exactly. want if you want to make the burger healthy probably don't have the sauce yeah <laughs> you know the, yeah. the aioli or whatever yeah. probably don't have the, yeah, the big exactly. the big roll. Mm. Um, but yes, that's another, that's probably not what we're, what we're here to <laughs> we discuss. We forget about it now. Let's forget about let's, the nutrition and talk about the marketing. Let's look at the purpose. Now, their purpose definitely is very, very strong, not only in their marketing, but then also 
as an experience when you go into Grilled. They are very community focused and yeah. I got that community feeling from their just from their restaurants, but then also in all their all their communication online that I've read. Um, they are very, very mindful to not be looked upon as a big chain and yeah. be very and almost they want to be looked upon as your local burger place in your yeah. suburb rather than 67 or however many there are of them around the country. Um, I think it's quite genius what they've done really because they're allowing their customers choose what they support. They're allowing them the way that their local matters causes allow them to be a very um, relatable thing for the consumer because it's something in their own backyard and it allows the business to support all these different causes, but the consumer feels like they get to choose. They feel like it's happening directly in their community. So I think Mm. it's quite genius the way that they've done it. Yeah, I actually wouldn't be opposed to other brands picking this up. Mm. Um, An easy way for local businesses to create a purpose bigger than creating profits is to follow this model, I think. And it's not a bad thing if more people start being more local, like more businesses become more local. Yeah. And you don't necessarily need to do it where the customer chooses the three, but even just having something there. And I know it's not new where, you know, the, the, the local electrician business supports the local hockey team. Like that's the, that's been around for years. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is possibly a way of putting your purpose at the forefront is letting the, when a customer is having an experience with your brand, make sure that purpose is front and center because that is what's driving this community engagement for this brand and also letting them lead with their purpose and not letting it be forgotten, which is exactly what we're trying to do with even talking about purposes and brands is not let the purpose be lost. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we have a lot of good things to say about the marketing here. They're very clever in the way that they uh, market themselves as a healthy burger place, Mm -hmm. but also just the way that a lot of their marketing is very clever. Um, But one of the founders is, a marketer, marketer. <laughs> yeah. He used to work in marketing at Foster's. Um, I think the 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 one that jogs my memory at the moment is um, where they did their knife um, wraps, where they were like, "No, this is a knife," or "That's not a knife. This is a knife from the um, Crocodile Dundee movies." Yes. And that actually got them in hot water. I think they had to actually pay a fine, which I think went to a charity because they got sued from Paul Hogan by that. Wow. So it's a good example of when being clever can get you in hot water. But I find it interesting that that didn't stop them. They went on to do a ad recently this year featuring Donald Trump. You are what you eat. And the photo was him eating McDonald's mm-hmm. and then grilled healthy burgers. So uh, it's uh, it's actually quite refreshing that a scandal, scandal if you want to call it like that, with um, Paul Hogan didn't stop them from still being clever in their marketing and using someone else. <laughs> no, the the founder, um, I've got his last name here, Crow. Yep. He he actually um, he actually sort of ridicules brands that just go completely mainstream. He says there's a desire to never become mainstream, as well as Crow believes that spray and pray advertising is often used as the easy way out. Part of me loves the idea of having a big pool of coin to go and spend to see what impact that would have, and then you can go, wow, how did um, how does that sit within the brand values that we've established? So the spray and pray approach, and I find this really funny because I've sat many a times with brands watching them do this spray and pray approach and even and thinking, how is this okay? Like shouldn't we be working harder for these for these dollars? But yes. so many brands are just happy to just put a, put a big traditional budget together 
and just go, there we go, let's try and see what happens. But and he he doesn't believe in that. And yeah. That's a marketer, a very successful marketer um, talking there. I love that I found a new term, spray and pray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, I would love to do a significant lifestyle billboard campaign that talks to grill during the summer months. I'd love to consider spending more money and have other people create content for us and have awards for the best content and then potentially air those things on pay TV or mainstream TV. We will have ideas that we will investigate, invest in, but I still think that by and large, most brands go to it as the lazy way. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think that whole um, like a, a spray and pray or set and forget kind of thing is is quite outdated mm. and it does take more effort, more energy from a marketing team or from a business to come up with a strategy that talks directly to the consumers that you can actually measure Mm. it's harder but Mm. it's gonna be a better return on investment definitely and yes it is it is it is more time consuming to be more to to be more engaged with your customers and to talk directly to them but it totally i can't i have to agree with him it is the lazy way to put a billboard up just you know summer australia just put a grilled billboard up in every suburb There you go. Yeah. And with digital, it is so much easier to do it now. And Mm. we have the tools available to us. So Mm. brands should be using them. I know. It's interesting. The ones that have are still old school and not, and um, doing that, that same um, strategy. Um, He also says my intent to make sure we don't stop taking risks because if we don't take risks, we will become vanilla. If we take risks, we might be cookies and cream. Let's be interesting. So this brand is definitely a risky brand and it is I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for their their advertising now after yeah. seeing some of these. Yeah, I think um and I think they're a good example of a brand that takes risks and that they've paid off. Mm. Like if you think the the brand hasn't been around for very long, I'm sure and I, from what I understand it's got greater awareness and recall within mm. the market. You know, the risk of something like the Paul Hogan thing, that was probably the worst possible outcome. Mm. But at the end of the day, I don't think that affected their their brand profile too much no you know no. they ended up paying the fine and doing what they had to do mm. um and i think it's really refreshing to see that they got up and did something like that again that wasn't about to to change who they were too much yeah exactly and this is the thing with risky or advertising that usually does um grab attention is it is a bit of a risk always and that risk is that's that conversation we have to have with brands but you usually know what you're going into and you know what the chances of something like that happening. Yeah, I think things that have big reward have big risk. That's that's a quote, right? Mm. Um, so I think as as a small business owner, if you want to take a risk in your marketing, just weigh up the worst case scenario. Have mm. a think about what the worst case scenario is with the risk you're about to take or the content you want to put out there that is a little bit different or left of center. Just have a look at the worst case scenario, work through what would happen if you got there. And if you're happy with that, Take the risk. Mm. Run it by us. Yeah. <laughs> we want to see it. No. Yeah. <laughs> this week, I want to recommend a book called Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham. The book is based on years of research and centers around the perspective that for success, we should be focusing on and utilizing our strengths, not developing our weaknesses. You'll get a code to take the StrengthsFinder test if you buy the book, and it has been a game changer for me to learn my strengths and focus on using these day to day. This week, I want to talk about engaging with potential clients rather than like-minded businesses. I find we often lean into similar businesses to ours, even though they're not our customer. 
I often hear people telling me about reviews from businesses that are similar to theirs rather than who their customer is. What I want to challenge you to do is profile the ideal client or customer and start engaging with that market. That covers it for this week. Make sure you leave us a review or follow us on Instagram at Marketing That Matters Pod. We love a chat. Thanks for listening to the Marketing That Matters podcast.